Hey, it's Brandon Laws, host of Transform Your Workplace. This episode is brought to you by Zenium HR. If you've ever managed multiple vendors for all of your people processes like payroll processors, HR consultants, 401k vendors, workers comp, benefits brokers, you know, the list goes on, of course. Well, with Zenium, you can bring all those pieces under one roof. Learn more about Zenium and our HR plus payroll model at ZeniumHR.com. Okay, today's episode is a great one. I had such a great conversation with Brett Cooper and Evans Kerrigan. They wrote the book, Solving the People Problem, Essential Skills You Need to Lead and Succeed in Today's Workplace. And without giving away too much about what's in the conversation, I'll just say this. We talk about emotional intelligence and the DISC assessment and how those two things paired together can really solve that people problem and build great teams in an amazing culture. I hope you loved the episode as much as I did. If you like what you hear, go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, and talk to you next week. We got lots of good stuff coming. Evans, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Uh, thank you. Yeah, excited to be here, Brandon. You guys wrote a book, and I had a chance to read it. It's called Solving the People Problem. I think when organizations have a lot of team members who they have a lot of experience in their contributor-level roles, but when you put them together in a team, whether it's a leadership team and they're promoted to that leadership level or they're just in a cross-functional team, sometimes they can't quite function together. So what typically is the issue in this scenario? Sure. So I'll, I'll take that, Brandon. Uh, this is Evans speaking, so you can differentiate the voices later on. Uh, we find that happens all the time. And, and what it frequently is about is at the beginning of people's careers, we tend to start as an individual contributor. We're just doing our work. As we get further in our careers, we need to interface with more and more people. And we found what we call the people problem it's not that people are a problem. It's that our inability to communicate clearly and concisely and be able to work with one another and understand the differences to make those situations work, that's the underlying problem. And it comes out in so many different ways in organizations. Uh, hopefully, it comes out early enough that you can do something about it because in many places, people don't learn to adapt, don't learn to work with other people until they get into a place where they're causing some damage out of that. That's really what we're trying to work with with people. So I guess the big question is, when you have that situation where you have people coming together, how do you get a group of different individuals working together? Is it formal training? Is it, I mean, there's, you guys probably have a whole host of things that you go through with a, with a new team. We want to set them up for success. So what, what's sort of the starting point? Yeah, absolutely. And setting them up for success is, is exactly the key. It's, it's the magic in everything that we do. And Brandon, I would argue that there are two kinds of things that we look at. And the first is probably what most people think of, and that's work on yourself. 
right? Most people will think, oh, well, if I just, you know, get a little better myself, then I should be a better team member and uh, everything should be well and good. So we, we actually spend a lot of time helping people understand kind of their own style, their own personality, their own communication patterns, what they do well, as well as some things they don't do quite as well, perhaps. Uh, but the other part of it, and what we've really outlined in our book, Solving the People Problem, is it's not enough just to work on yourself and just know yourself. You need to know the styles and the patterns of the people with whom you're working. So when we're doing our work with clients and we're working on leadership and teamwork, we spend a lot of time helping those leaders and those team members really pay attention. Hey, what is everybody else's style? How do they like to communicate? What do they do well? And what are some places where they might be able to really benefit from your help? So to answer your question, we like to have people focus on themselves and focus on the other people on the team. You cited an article from the World Economic Forum in the book where senior executives were asked to predict the most important skills of tomorrow. Were those skills that they they stated were they related to the people problem that you have in the book? I imagine you that that is the case, but you tell me what are the skills that they're talking about? Yeah, so that was a really interesting uh, look at some people who were um, really big business leaders, and the skills weren't kind of what you read about in the press around uh, artificial intelligence and all the technical skills. It was really much more about those softer skills, the more human skills. It, it was really about empathy and, uh, resilience and, and teamwork. And another place where we actually kind of found the same thing. I was working with one of the state governments and we were talking with major employers who they were trying to attract to the state and saying, what do you need from employees? Thinking they were going to get the technical skills, the engineering, everything else. And what they heard from all of these employers, many of whom were in manufacturing and high tech, was we'll train the technical skills. But if people can't come in and work with one another, if they can't build teams, if they can't do those things, that's really difficult for us to overcome. So so more and more, I think businesses are really recognizing the hard value that you get from the softer skills that sometimes we haven't kind of built up over time. And I'm curious with the softer skills, how do you develop those? <laughs> those are hard technical skills, the intellectual skills, like IQ related things. Those seem to be easier to develop, but emotional intelligence is a whole different ballgame. Absolutely. Uh, emotional intelligence is a different kind of an animal is how you improve it. But I will say that the nice thing about emotional intelligence is that it's very malleable. Unlike IQ, which you're pretty much born with and you kind of set in a certain range, um, you know, Bummer. EQ, right? <laughs> EQ or emotional intelligence really is something that is about understanding yourself and understanding people. And so we find that organizations really need two things if they want to increase the emotional intelligence of the people that are working in that organization. First of all, they need a framework. They need some kind of a structure to help everybody in that organization understand what the heck are we talking about when it comes to emotional intelligence. So in our book, we outline a framework. We call it DISC EQ, but the framework essentially looks at, do you know yourself? And then do you use that information to choose your actions wisely? And do you know other people and other people's styles? 
and to use that information to adapt your behavior for the mutual benefit of all parties involved. So that's that framework part. That's the first thing. And quite honestly, over the last 20 years, all of the work that the industry has done on emotional intelligence, they've used a similar framework. So that's not really new. Something that we brought that I believe is new to the conversation about emotional intelligence is the second piece that we think organizations need. And that's a language. Because in the traditional sense of emotional intelligence, sure, you need to know yourself, you need to know others, but but what's the language for that? And so what we've done is we've taken the personality styles instrument called DISC, and we've combined that with kind of the traditional view of emotional intelligence. And we help organizations then create this language around style. So when an organization is working on emotional intelligence and they're helping their their employees, their leaders understand their style, we have this DISC language that helps them do that. And the same thing goes when you're trying to understand other people. Again, you have this basic language that everybody can use, which gets everybody on the same page. Since you mentioned DISC, we've done a, a podcast like solely on DISC before because I'm a huge fan of DISC and that whole model. So people can go back and listen to that for a deep dive. But maybe just a quick refresher for people who've never heard of DISC and what it is. Maybe just quickly summarize what it is. Uh, sure. So DISC is an explanation of personality and our patterns and styles. It's not new. It's It was actually created quite a while ago, but some organizations have done a great deal of work kind of deepening that model. Um, it's the model that we use for a couple of different reasons. One is it's based on observable behavior. So there are some personality profiles out there. They're wonderful instruments, but they're not things that I can actually see. So we were looking for the practicality, the usability, the ability to actually see this behavior in myself as well as in others and be able to take some action to improve our ability to communicate in that way. So DISC breaks down on kind of two different criteria. So think a circle and four quadrants in a circle. And some people are more, uh, uh, they're more teleassertive. They're more, they're going to go out there. They're going to talk. I almost think of them as they're, they're the talk it through leaders. They're the ones who they're going to be on it. They're fast paced. They're going to get things out. The other end of that continuum going to be cautious, a little bit more reflective. So if I think those fast-paced people, some of them tend to challenge more directly. They're going to be questioning. They're going to uh, uh, be a little bit skeptical, and, and they're going to make those things happen right away. So when I combine those two, what I end up with is what's called a D or a dominant style. I go to that fast-paced, and I go to somebody who's more accepting and warm of new ideas, new people. We call that an I or an influence style. We go to those more cautious and reserved people. If I'm on that accepting and warm style, that's actually where I am. We call that an S or steadiness style. And where we're more cautious and reserved and we tend to be more questioning and skeptical, that we're going to call C for conscientiousness. So it's it's just it's a way of looking at some patterns of behavior that people who have these characteristics will tend to follow through on. What are some of the things that drive their decisions? How do they communicate? And we can take that through several different applications in work to say, how can we be more effective working with one another? And if I can chime in, adding to that description, one of the things that I want to implore (laughs) your listeners is do not use this to label people. We don't use this DISC methodology to label people. It's not about saying, oh, you're a D, so 
you are going to just be an absolute jerk or you know you're 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 an s so you're going to be quiet and you don't have anything to say that's not at all the way that we use disc when we put it together with disc eq the way that we use disc is that we say you know, these are patterns that we all have. They are natural tendencies, ways that we are naturally wired. Every one of those disc styles has its own value and can do pretty much any kind of job or uh, have any kind of success. It's really a matter of how do you like to communicate? How do you interact with the world and how do you interact with other people? So we use it as a guide, as an insight to your own personality preferences and uh, the communication styles of other people, but we stay far, far away from using it as a label of what people can and cannot do. I think it's a great self-awareness tool. And mm-hmm. I started with DISC to asking you about that because you guys cited a study reported in the Harvard Business Review where researchers measured self-awareness amongst 5,000 people in the study, they found that 95% of those folks considered themselves highly self-aware. So that's a high, that's a really high number. Mm-hmm. But where it got interesting is that the researchers actually found that 10 to 15% of them were actually self-aware based on their assessment. So the huge disparity between the two. And I think that DISC is a great starting point <clears throat> for being self-aware. So what, what's your thought on that? I I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, What they really found was that people would say they were self-aware, but they couldn't actually identify their own emotional state (laughs) unless there were strong emotions, right? I'm I'm out of control, angry. I know that one, but it's all those other nuanced, and they don't. And people don't tend to have a language for it. It's one of the places where DISC helps create that language, that ability to see that. And, and if I, if if you go to the highest level of this, when we really talk about DISC, what we're really talking about is being able to understand, appreciate, and get to where I can actually even honor those differences. Every DISC style is very valuable. The Solving the people problem is really about when I see somebody coming at it from a different perspective, don't run it through my filter. Try to understand their filter, understand the value that they bring to it, and see what can I learn from that. Because all of us have all four styles in us to some extent. We tend to have one or two that drive us a little bit more than others. But when I can really honor those differences of people coming at it from a different perspective, my world starts to open up. That's where creativity uh, and, ex- and some really exciting future opportunities can come in. If I'm looking at it that it's got to come through my door, I've really closed off a lot of the possibility that I get from teams working together. Evans, what is your tendency on the disc scale? I actually tend to be down in that S quadrant. Um, Mm. I'm a little bit more cautious and reserved. Uh, Brett, frequently on these things, he'll actually introduce both of us. We're a little bit different. Um, It's worked fantastically for us, though. I mean, I got to be perfectly honest. uh, uh, My wife and I are very different styles as well. It's If you can honor those differences, it's amazing what happens. And frequently what we find is People, if they're not thinking about this, if they're not kind of consciously doing this, or if an organization isn't really kind of thinking about this and helping to create that language for people to grow, emotional intelligence sounds like a great idea. The progress we make at getting there is a lot slower than it could be. 
that's what's really kind of exciting about bringing the disc here to give us a language for making that journey to improving our emotional intelligence. I can't tell you how many times, like, because we've used that in our organization where we've realized what everybody's tendencies are. And then we do workshops on how to work with each other's styles. And it's just a, it's an awareness tool. So like I'm a CS. So knowing who the other CSs in the room are and who the Ds are, and then just how we can work together. And we're like, oh, okay, that's why you do X, Y, Z. And it's just, again, what you said, celebrating differences. So I love that. Uh, Brett, what is your tendencies? I got to ask you now. So I'm an I. I'm a high I. So <laughs> You want to be at the party, the life of the party? So enthusiasm, action. Uh, Evans and I do share collaboration. That's an, an overlap between I's and S's. But uh, yeah, uh, when when Evans and I are, are in meetings, Evans earlier mentioned the talk it through leader and the think it through leader. Yeah, I'm very much the talk it through leader. Um, I'll, I'll start a, a, a sentence expecting it's going to go somewhere good. Uh, not quite sure where it might go, but it's going to go somewhere. And you know, man, if, and if it doesn't, hey, so be it. Whereas Evans is much more, okay, I'm going to think this through. And as, as Evans mentioned, we've been working together for 20 years. And we started this company 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago. And we've had an extremely successful relationship. And I think it's entirely because we both understand and honor those differences in each other. And, and I fully recognize that some of the things that I don't do well, it's exactly what Evans does do well based on his kind of, you know, his, his personality style and, and his communication style and his behavioral patterns. He fills in the, the gaps where my behaviors, uh, are not as strong. And that's, that's a fantastic way to have a partnership and a fantastic way to build a team. What's fascinating about what you just said is that's literally proof that all this works. 100%. 100%. Right? You are practicing what you preach because this relationship where you guys are very different, you fill in the gaps where the other might not, and it, it, it the relationship works. And our teams can interact that way too. That's the crazy part. Absolutely. Yeah. We're just not doing it. Yeah. And I, and I got to tell you, you, know, you, you had mentioned that that you've had some experience going through disc workshops and, uh, and, and that they're usually enlightening. And I will tell you that in my career, I too have gone through workshops, uh, where I've been a participant and Evans has as well. And, and historically, far too often those workshops stayed a little too surface level and more importantly, stayed as a single event type of workshop. It was come in, learn your disc style talk about it and then go away. Yep. And one of the things that uh, I, I think has made Evans and I so successful as a partnership, it's the same reason why we see some of our client organizations really thriving uh, as far as building healthy organizations and healthy cultures is that they continue to work on this stuff. Yeah. They don't learn it once and say, okay, that's it. No, they actually bring that language in and always learn continuously. And they recognize that even if they've been you know, using the language for a long time, there's still more to learn. Yeah. Evans and I are constantly having little aha kind of moments uh, you know, through exercises, through conversations that will, will increase our own emotional intelligence. And I mean, heck, we literally wrote the book on the subject and yeah. we're still learning. And so I hope that's one of the things that comes through for your listeners in this podcast is that, you know, 
everything we're talking about isn't a, okay, check the box. I learned it. It's bring it into your active relationships and be open and just respect what all of this is telling you both about yourself and about other people. Yeah. As Brett mentioned, um, we are continuously learning. Uh, if you happen to read the book, what you'll find is actually some of those lessons in there about things we tripped up ourselves along the way, uh, learned, grew. Part of this is about being vulnerable about your own style so that you can share with others. So we chose to do that in the book, uh, which is also full of a bunch of stories from our clients, what they've done about applying it. Um, we're all about kind of the practical nature of what happens here, right? It, it's about how do I actually use that so that I can improve my decision-making, improve how I communicate with others, improve how we handle conflict on a team, improve our teamwork, improve how I work with people that I've just met or, or I just have a, a surface relationship with. And, and one of the most important ones from my perspective, how do I actually help improve my leadership, by thinking about this, not just in terms of how it works with the people I'm working with, but the people who work for me, how am I making sure I'm meeting the needs that they have so they can all be more successful and grow? So it's all about how do we actually apply it? It's not just a surface. It's not a theory. It's actually the application where this th stuff gets really exciting. Brett, you mentioned that you and Evans both are ongoing educating. Like, There's always something to learn with this, right? And always. What's concerning to me is, I mean, it's been a while since I've been in college or high school or anything before that. They're not teaching this stuff in college or high school or any like any of these soft skills that we're talking about that are important for leading in the in the in the future. And are you seeing any of this happen in schools or any formal training where they're teaching DISC or emotional intelligence or anything like that? I'd, I'd be really curious. I think we're starting to see some schools are adding some of these things to the curriculum. And I can honestly share with you, uh, Brandon, uh, we have a few clients who are actually universities. So um, we have we have schools who are saying, you know what, we've actually realized this is a gap. You guys have been doing this for a while. Help us learn this. Help us bring this in. Help us start to use this for our people so that our students will be much more successful as they head into the work world. Because this stuff is just getting more important. Uh, if you look at what's happened this year, uh, kind of overnight, everybody ended up as work from home. And some of the things that we were able to modify behaviors and able to kind of keep things together because we were together, all of a sudden it became a lot easier for people to distance themselves from conversations, to pull away when things got a little bit heated. These skills have just become that much more important. And I think that's going to continue into the future. I know we talked at kind of a high level with the, the two models, the frameworks between DISC and emotional intelligence, but there's something that popped out to me within the book, and I wanted to ask you about it. What is the appreciation seat? That's a <laughs> good example. I love that. Actually, it's, it's, it's a powerful exercise that we use with clients. And um, as you read in the book, Brandon, it, was, it, it has been a, a very effective tool for me personally. So, oh, really? uh, so, so, so that your listeners can understand this, uh, and potentially can use it for themselves. I'll explain it and then I'll explain the story. So the appreciation seat is a team building exercise that what we do is we get the team, uh, well, back in the old days, we get them around a table today. We get them on, together on zoom or Microsoft teams, but essentially one member is in the appreciation seat. And then everybody else around the team does two things. First, they go around and they tell that person, hey, here's something you do that is just really great. You know, thanks for doing this. It moves us forward. 
keep doing that. Then, because we're all about improvement and growth, everybody goes around again and says, here's one thing that you do that kind of slows us down, something that you do that might get in the way of us being as successful as possible. And so this is something we use with a whole bunch of our clients. Well, we did it with our our own team and we do frequently. And one of the times we did it, and this is about eight years ago, I think, Evans, um, we, uh, we're, I, I'm on the appreciation seat and my team's going around and one of my team members, Renee, comes to me and she says, Brett, you know, the thing that you do that's so valuable is you're always ideating. You know, you're always looking towards the future. You're thinking about what's next. You're thinking about our product development life cycle. You're thinking about what our clients need going forward. And that's great. You know, you move us ahead in that way. And, uh, and then so some other people said some things and then we got to that, well, here's something you do that slows you down. And we got back to Renee and the first thing Renee says is, you know, Brett, the one thing you do that slows us down is you're always ideating. Oh, I, I love it. <laughs> and it's, you know, everybody starts laughing because including myself, because we all knew exactly what she meant. And she continued, she says, you know, we start a project based on some idea that you came up with, and then we're trying to work on it, execute it, and you're already on to the next thing. Oh, you're, you know, you're like looking the next way out. And the reason why I, I, I find that exercise so powerful and, and the learning that I got, and this kind of goes back to what we were just talking around, about, around, hey, you're always learning, is for me, that was really a eureka moment that Renee helped me understand that that which is perhaps one of my greatest strengths is also a potential weakness if I overuse it, if I'm not familiar with what it is that I do. So she really helped me understand my patterns. And so now I am much more cognizant of throwing out new ideas when we're in the middle of of getting uh, a project done. Evans will tell you, I, I still do it sometimes, but I do it a whole lot less frequently than I used to. So you've you've had the pleasure of understanding your tendencies from not only probably doing the disc uh, thing and, and understanding where you're coming from, but also having it from a colleague telling you what your tendencies are. So there's some self awareness learning that you that you had. But what type of exercises can you do beyond those things to continue developing those skills, the the emotional intelligence skills to interact as a team better? Yeah, so I, I think that's a great question, and it is one of the things that I think really differentiates this. This gives us a place to start that conversation, and by creating that language, that's part of what makes it easier for us to have things like the you know sitting in the the chair because we can have this language. We already know none of us are perfect. We all have things we can learn, and learning is great, right? Learning helps us grow. Learning helps us be be more than we are currently. So one of the things that we did and that we've made available on the website, it's free for right now. I can't tell you how long this will be free for. We actually created a field guide, uh, which actually has exercises built into it around six applications of how we can apply DISC EQ in the workplace, right? Everything from how I make my own decisions, how we communicate conflict, teamwork. I've hit this list a couple of times, but each of those six uh, application areas, we put five exercises that you can do either individually self-reflection or with a team to help continue your ability to apply this language and to apply your emotional intelligence, get better at it. We get better at it through practicing it. It's not enough to read about it. It's actually the doing 
that helps us get there. So if we can create that opportunity, and we have with our team and we have with a lot of our clients, where providing feedback becomes kind of an expectation, something that we should be doing, something we should all be listening to, to remove some of the tension that comes up when people bring up the word feedback, that's what enables us to actually start to grow. So it's really about engaging in the process and making that part of thinking about what we work with. We got started as a continuous improvement organization. We got into this because we realized this was what was keeping us from getting even better results for our clients. We were looking at the business, the work process. We weren't looking at the communication process that was influencing that work process. So if I can start to bring that communication process, bring our personal processes to the fore so that we can discuss them and make them better, we have a huge advantage over almost anybody we're competing with, really. Yeah, and Brandon, that field guide, the Solving the People Problem field guide, include those exercises include some that are self-reflection for people and others that are, are team engagement. So the appreciation seat uh, is explained in there, uh, and there are a number of other kind of prompts that people can use, again, both for that self-reflection, kind of build their own emotional intelligence, as well as build the collective emotional intelligence of the team. So if any of your listeners want that, they can go to solvingthepeopleproblem.com and just click on the menu of Get the Field Guide. And as Evans mentioned, that's a free download for the time being. Awesome. Awesome. One more thing and I'll let you guys go. So conflict is inevitable inside of an organization. In fact, if you deal with it the right way, you can build on it. So how do you use these two frameworks, DISC and emotional intelligence to engage in a way that is a conflict is productive and there's, there is a good outcome and not just butting heads and anger and and all the, the negative things that come as a result of conflict when people don't deal with it the right way. Sure. So I'll take that one because this is always a fun conversation. We're actually going to be having this conversation uh, with another group uh, later on today. Uh, Part of this is about understanding what's really going on in conflict. And there have been some studies done over the years talking about how often conflict is either created entirely or exacerbated by those differences in styles. It's, It's when somebody says something in, in a way that just doesn't ring right to me because I'm putting my own meaning to what they said or what they did. So that, that ability to, to understand one another and understand that we have different approaches. And if I'm working with uh, one of the members of our team, uh, we have a really strong, solid C who handles uh, a bunch of our stuff. She's very detail-oriented. She's really structured. Sometimes she's going to say things in a, in a way that might come across as really direct to me. That's not kind of my style, right? So I've got to understand that's just her style. It's not that she meant something by that, right? So if I can get rid of that artificial add to conflict, it makes it easier for us to get to what we would call productive conflict, which is actually talk about the underlying issue we need to deal with. Conflict is a necessary part of us being successful. Conflict gets really uncomfortable when we turn it from that productive conflict into things that feel attacking in some way. So having an appreciation of each other enables us to better be able to approach that and better be able to actually have conflict around ideas without making that personal conflict. And to to highlight the importance of this or, or the prevalence of this, in the book, Brandon, we actually cite a study that was done a couple of years ago around conflict in the workplace. And that study found that 62% of workers 
blamed personality differences for oh, the geez. negative conflict that they experienced in the workplace. The other person, right? So personality differences with the other person. That's it's right. For them. <laughs> no, that, that's exactly it. And, and, and it's actually for, for many of them, it's the clash. It's exactly what we've been talking yeah. about. You know, if you're a, if you're a think it through kind of a person and somebody else is coming at you as a talk it through, you know, if if you don't recognize and honor, if you don't both recognize and honor those differences and 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 kind of control your impulses there, that is going to be what we what Evans just cited as negative conflict, right? That's uncomfortable. That is frustration. That is not productive for anybody. And so when 62% of the workforce is saying, you know what, most of the negative conflict in my workplace is caused by personality styles. I think we're on to something with this whole idea of disc emotional intelligence, because if we can if we can change that 62 percent and heck, even cut that in half, the productivity in our workforces goes through the roof. The engagement in our workforces goes through the roof. So it's uh, it, it, it's something that I think a lot of people might think that it's valuable, but until they actually uh, start working on it they don't really recognize just how important this stuff is in daily interactions they have with the people around them. I just want to throw one more thing as far as a measurement of what the impact is here. It is about profitability. It's about all those things. I'll be honest, coming from where I am, work just becomes a whole lot more fun if I get rid of some of that stress, right? It's really about being able to actually actively engage, be excited about it, and and just really enjoy what we can create going forward. And, and that's really that's really part of where it comes for, for me. My guests today have been Brett Cooper and Evans Kerrigan. You guys, this has been such a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? And I know you, you talked about the, the field guide. Anything else that you want to point people to before we part? Yeah, I, thanks, Brandon. I think the best thing for people to do is probably go to solvingthepeopleproblem.com. That's the website for the book. There you can learn more about the book. And... If you go to solvingthepeopleproblem.com, one of the things your listeners can do is they can take a free emotional intelligence survey. All they have to do is look for the link that says, what's my disk EQ? Click on that, and they will be able to take a uh, self-assessment that looks at how well do you know yourself, choose your actions wisely, know others, and adapt your behavior for mutual benefit. And the beauty of this survey is it's going to generate and give you a personalized report that is not only going to give you a score in each one of those areas, but it's also going to give you some very tailored ideas of what you can do, no matter where you currently sit, what you can do to improve and take your own skills to that next level. So solvingthepeopleproblem.com, click take the survey. I'm going to go take that. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. When your listeners do go to take that survey, in the access code, let's have them insert the word transform. And that will be the access code for them to be able to get into that survey. Awesome. Thank you guys for that. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. It's been a, a lot of fun. Thank you, Brandon. Yeah, this has been great, Brandon. Thank you. 